We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. So in a recent episode, we focused on a superhero insect, the American burrowing beetle. That episode gained a lot of attraction and feedback. It was so much fun to read the comments and other individuals that had been studying this uh, particular insect or uh, was just like fascinated with what this little superhero is doing out there. But if you haven't heard that episode, I'd certainly encourage you to do so. Go back and, and check it out either on our Facebook or in your, your subscription feed. So with so much interest, we, we decided to continue focusing on the, the little itty-bitty world out there. Perhaps not really an insect, but the little itty-bitty world out there. But we're going to take a little different approach on the little itty-bitty world, particularly something that's not endangered or threatened, but rather they are an abundant, in my opinion, maybe too many of them, in my opinion. Others may feel the same way, but and I certainly would not be calling this little itty bitty thing a superhero. So if you're similar to my dog and I, we deeply hate, not so much love, the, this little nuisance that we're going to be chatting about today. The tick. Yes, the tick is very common all over and doesn't seem to be fighting birds for resources like the um, burrowing beetle did. But that's okay because birds eat the ticks. So we're okay with this. You may be asking, what is so cool about the small wingless blood-sucking arthropod? Well, if you ask me, they're not so cool, but maybe our guest today can change our mind and, and maybe Kate Chapman can tell us why they are cool. So in a recent article published by the Lancaster County Nebline titled Tick Tips for Tick Season caught my eye. I wanted to know how to keep those little booger ticks far, far away from my skin. And today we are joined by Kate Chapman, urban entomology extension educator with the Lancaster County Extension Office here in Nebraska. Those not familiar with Nebraska, Lancaster County is basically Lincoln. So welcome, Kate. Please introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. As Julia said, my name is Kate Chapman. I'm an urban entomologist, which means I deal a lot with the bugs that nobody likes, nobody wants to talk about. A lot of those are the bed bugs, the cockroaches, the things that get inside and outside too, including ticks. That's that's a good way to put it right away. It's like <laughs> yes. nobody likes. So she, it's, I guess it was a segue into it worked out perfectly. So Kate, before we get into today's topic, um, we like to have our in, our guests kind of introduce themselves. Like, how did you get into this world? What was your childhood like? And and where did you go to school? Yeah, so I actually, I grew up in Papillion, Nebraska. 
And then I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to do my undergraduate and my master's degree in entomology. So I like to tell everybody I'm just from like big city, Nebraska, you know. So I grew up in these really urban areas and I just got really interested in insects when I did, I did a high school program that was called the Zoo Academy at the Omaha Zoo. And I, and I really, I always knew I wanted to work with animals, but then I was like, oh, being a vet would be such a sad job for me. Um, so I was like, but I'm okay with killing bugs. I want to be an entomologist. So that's my segue into entomology. And so I've got my master's degree. I'm currently a candidate for my PhD degree. But my research was in aphids, which is an agricultural and plant pest. But then this job popped up and it's like, well, I like talking about bugs. I like talking to people. And that's kind of what extension is all about. And so I moved from agriculture back into like urban pests. Like once again, the ones that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to deal with the bed bugs, the cockroaches, termites. Um, but then I also deal a lot with like landscape pests too and beneficial insects like pollinators. So really just kind of bugs all around. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it's so fun to hear how people got into the, their world. And for a non-biologist like myself, I'm like, you study <laughs> right, right? Like this is what you like to do. It's wonderful. Um, and so so you got into the these tiny little, well, into entomology you obviously we're going to talk about ticks today but what is your favorite species like what oh, what man. got you that's going that's a loaded question for an entomologist right i i feel like i like aphids mostly because like i had to work with them so much i would go home at night and like close my eyes and be like wow i'm still seeing aphids get out of my head and they're cute under a microscope like look up pictures of aphids they're tiny and cute but more realistically like I mean, you have to like a praying mantis, right? They're cool. They're big. Yeah. Much better than aphid. I got to go with that. Yes. Like, every, every farmer that's listening to us right now is like, did she just say her favorite is I know. aphid? Well, uh, I'll, I'll back that up and say my research was on how to kill aphids. So if oh. that like redeems me a little bit, we'll, totally. we'll go there. Totally. <laughs> did you just have like large bottles of soap everywhere with you spraying them soap? Did, is that the, was oh that my gosh, I did my research in a greenhouse and the truth of the matter is like whenever you want aphids on something, they'll die. And whenever you don't want aphids, they just infest everything. It's, it's maddening. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks for sharing and, yeah. and, and bringing our listeners up to speed with you because it's, it's just interesting how everyone kind of got into this world. A lot of us like Julia and myself maybe came from a different background and, and to hear that you, you got that start from a, a school program in high school. That's pretty cool that the Omaha zoo had that opportunity for, for folks to kind of get experience, especially those of us that grew up in town or in the city, but kind of getting to our, to our topic at hand, we just kind of wrapped up Turkey season in a lot of our States and it seems that like the common denominator besides like, oh, I almost harvested this turkey is it was the absolute worst tick season ever. You know, everyone has a complaint about ticks, it seems. So as summer kind of keeps going, is this the time of year that like tick sightings start to drop or, or can you give us a little bit more into the into the world of tick and, and their life cycle. 
Yeah, so in Nebraska and Iowa, of course, we see tick numbers kind of peak throughout May and June. That's because, you know, the weather's like perfect for them and um, their life cycle kind of depends. They're cold-blooded animals, so it means their life cycle depends on the weather and the temperature. And so when it's warmer outside, we see more ticks. And not only that, this is the time of year where everyone's spending more time outdoors. So it's possible that the ticks are out there, but we're just encountering them more. And while it's true that we're more likely to encounter ticks in May and June and a little bit into July before the temperatures almost get too high, um, the fact is, is that ticks can actually be active year round. And a lot of people don't realize that because you don't want to go out on like a warm, quote unquote, warm winter day, a mild winter day. And you don't, you don't think about ticks, right? You don't worry about ticks being an issue, but as long as temperatures are above freezing, and that can even be just like a pocket of a sunny place in the woods in the winter, ticks can still be active. And one species of tick, for example, um, their adults are actually most active in Nebraska from October to March as long as those temperatures are above freezing. So you're saying it's not just three seasons or three months a year. We actually have to worry about these silly things. You you should be aware of them year round, but this season right now is when you're most likely to encounter them. I like the little kind of fake cloud of unknown that I was living under thinking that maybe they just left planet earth for 10 months of the year and then just came back for for two annoying months, but it turns out. I'm sorry if I like freak people out by saying that, like you're not likely to encounter a tick in the winter, (laughs) but better safe than sorry, right? So when you say that like we have a hard freeze, and I don't think we have a whole lot of hard freezes, at least here, because I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, right with you, Kate, too, that um, does a hard freeze tend to decrease the population any? No, it could, but we need to think about like how ticks live their lives, right? So they live on wild animals most of the time, Uh, and those wild animals are warm. So is a hard freeze really going to touch them too much? uh, You know, it's hard telling. It could definitely, like if if they're free in the environment, it could definitely kill them, but most of them are going to be living on a host. Makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of probably a good segue into what, you know, the rest of our conversation here. You know, so I recognize that there are different ticks. I mean, I recognize, I see them. I've had different type of ticks on me, but, uh, you know, they're ranging in size, color. But how do you explain, like, the different identity of ticks? What ticks are most prominent, like, here in our area? Rachel's in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. We're in Lincoln. Uh, when Tana's in the uh, middle of Kansas. So we're kind of, I think, kind of maybe the same area, but... What, what, as far as what ticks are most popular in the area and then the differences between them? Yeah, so here in the Midwest, and it gets a little different, you know, the further west we go, but here there are three, three different tick species that come to mind that we most commonly encounter. And those are going to be the Lone Star Tick, the American Dog Tick, and the Black-Legged Tick, which is also sometimes called a Deer Tick. So lone star ticks get their name because the adult females have a characteristic lone star. So it's this white, white little spot on their back. And that's how we can tell it's a lone star tick. Um, all of these ticks are going to be small, 
you know, they can range from the size of a poppy seed when they're first hatched, and they can get up to maybe about the size of an apple seed when they're full grown. But all of them are going to be about that size, and they're all kind of a brown color. Some can be a lighter brown, some can be a dark color, and then some can also have like a white pattern on their black, on their back a little bit. And so the most common ones that we encounter are going to be that lone star tick and the American dog tick. Um, a third species, which is the black-legged tick, you know, I can't speak for Iowa or Kansas, but I know at least here in Nebraska, um, we do have like confirmed populations of the black-legged tick here, but it's only been found in four four counties. So it's Douglas, Sarpy, Saunders, and Thurston. And it's likely that that range is going to expand as well. And, you know, you know, we talk about ticks, but when you find a tick, like it's a tick, you know, just get rid of it. But it's also really important to know what these different tick species are because um, black-legged ticks in particular are important because they're going to be the ones that vector Lyme disease. So if you find a tick that's actively feeding on you and you have concerns about tick disease, you should always get it identified. Um, so while the black-legged ticks can transmit Lyme, the more common ticks like Lone Stars or American Dog Ticks cannot. Yeah. That's good to know. That's that's definitely good to know because I just, I had always thought that all of them carry Lyme disease. Yeah, I, I'm back under my naive cloud. I assumed <laughs> tick equals Lyme disease equals mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently the, uh, it isn't that easy. Well, I will say while the other two ticks don't carry Lyme, they're not innocent. They can carry other things too. There has to be a purpose to ticks. What is the purpose that ticks serve in our ecosystem? You know, that's a good question. And I actually get this question a lot because, you know, the human standpoint, like ticks are bad news. Like, you know, mosquitoes can feed frogs. So I guess they kind of have a purpose, but like, what the heck is the purpose of a tick? They bite us, they bite our pets, they carry disease. Why can't we just wipe out ticks and be done with it? Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, when they are, they can be food resources to other animals. You have birds, um, possums eat some ticks. They don't eat as many ticks as people think they eat, um, but they can eat some ticks. And they also provide, you know, in some sense, a population control for wildlife because they can vector disease to wildlife too. So they can be some form of population control. And I think it's important to mention that ticks are just, they're a part of the ecosystem, whether we like it or not. And as humans, you know, we have some responsibility to maintain those ecosystems um, and the biodiversity of animals, and that includes ticks as well. So wild ecosystems are so complex, you know, uh, as you both know, and as your listeners know, out hunting, you see so many things in that ecosystem. And removing, like completely wiping out a single thing from that web or equation like ticks, you know, could have unforeseen consequences too. So they they are better than just eating my skin and eating possums. I'll give you that. It dep- yeah, it depends on your point of view, right? Most are bad, but, you know, they do have a role in the environment. So, okay, yep. I, I, I'm with Rachel. I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. Fine, okay. There, we'll go with the part of the ecosystem. Um, and just that certain puzzle... Yeah, we'll do. We'll, we'll we'll go with that. But I have a hard time grasping it, just only because you know I have cattle at home and and raising mm-hmm. cattle, and I do know that they carry 
variety of diseases within the cattle. And uh, most recent, not real recent, but we hear a lot about more and more of anaplasmosis. And Dick mm-hmm. is carrying out of anaplasmosis, starting to even, you know, it was kind of a southern disease that they're carrying. Now it's far pushing up more north. So what, you know, what other diseases do you, are you aware of that we should be concerned about that other than the Lyme disease that a tick is carrying? Right. You know, so you mentioned cattle and like really quick before I get into diseases, I just want to throw out there is that we even have like invasive species of ticks here in the United States. I don't know if you've heard of the Asian longhorn tick yet, Oh no! but that's been found. Um, it's in several Southeast States here and they have a prediction of like how far their range can get in the United States. And I think it just gets in like the corner of Nebraska, maybe possibly if it does end up here, but that tick is, has huge implications for cattle because cattle is, going, is their main um, source. They can carry disease. And not only that, this species of tick reproduces asexually. So they don't need to mate. They just make copies of themselves. So what like, the heck? not to perpetuate the tick panic here, but oh it's just um, something like that. But yeah, going back to diseases. So as I mentioned, different tick species can transmit different pathogens. So we talked about Lyme, you know, Lyme disease is probably the most famous tick-borne illness. So when we think Lyme, we think ticks and vice versa. Here in Nebraska, we usually only have like 12 cases of Lyme disease a year. So like there's a lot of panic about it, but relatively speaking, it's very few cases. And most cases that we see actually come from ticks that people get out of state. So like they traveled to Colorado or they traveled somewhere else and they got a tick there, maybe brought it back with them, or they got, they picked up Lyme there. That being said, I mean, there's some tick populations in Nebraska that been, have been found to carry Lyme disease, but like I said, other species of ticks can carry other things. So for example, the American dog tick can transmit Rocky Mountain spotted fever is one of the big ones. And I think there's usually about like two cases of that per year in the state. I've actually known someone who has passed away from that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, you have to catch it early, and some people just don't show the symptoms early enough. Tularemia is another one um, transmitted by the American dog tick. And then the lone star tick, which is probably one of our most common ones, can transmit a handful of things. You have tularemia, you have ehrlichiosis, you have heartland virus. And then most interestingly, is that they can transmit something that's called alpha-gal allergy, which actually makes people allergic to red meat, which can be a difficult thing in the beef state. Yes, because we've had someone, a family friend that this happened to, same thing, like they just cannot have red meat anymore because of a tick bite. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the body reacts to something in the tick's saliva and suddenly lifelong red meat allergy. How like I that's hard. Oh my gosh. I my I don't know how my life could go on without that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talk about how it's affected humans, but and and we've talked a little bit about how anaplasmosis is with cattle, but are they affecting wildlife as well? You know, are are they transmitting diseases and cause issues within our wildlife population? So they do and you know, I'm going to be honest, I don't know too much on like the disease and wildlife side of things. 
Um, but not only like wildlife, but even our pets. So if you're out hunting and you have your, you know, your dog with you, like dogs can get Lyme disease. People don't realize that it doesn't just affect us. But yeah, it affects wildlife. That kind of goes back to like, it's some sort of, it could be a form of like natural wildlife control, you know, population control as well. But it's not just people, it's wildlife, it's pets, pretty much everything. Now, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, in order to test for Lyme disease, they need the tick itself, correct? Yes. So if someone has been able to save the tick, they can send it into a lab to get tested for Lyme disease and, you know, a bunch of these other diseases as well. There is a blood test for Lyme disease, but sometimes it takes a while for it to, like, show up in the blood in, like, a high enough number of a person for it to be detectable that's why we do recommend like saving a tick and a lot of these diseases are bacteria based too so usually um if the doctor knows what type of tick it was and can kind of rule out what it if you're getting symptoms what it might be then you can get on a course of antibiotics which but once again it needs to be caught early enough to really get those symptoms under control and and the ticks are spreading all of these you know, wonderful diseases and, and viruses through the bite. Is that correct? Yeah. So just to reiterate before we talk about like tick bites is that, you know, people worry that anytime they find a tick on them, they're going to get something. And we need to reiterate that not every tick you encounter is carrying something, you know, yes, tick born illness exists, but it's also relatively rare in some sense. And, you know, the pathogen depends on the actual bite occurring. So if you find a tick that's crawling on your pants or maybe it's, you know, crawling on your arm or your leg, it's not feeding. So you're not going to get something from a tick that's not actively feeding. And it depends on how long the tick is feeding too. So, you know, if you left a tick to feed, it can remain on you for seven to 10 days. Like they can feed for a really long time. So if you find a tick that is feeding, it's important to remove it as soon as possible. And that's because um, most infections from tick bites, so most illnesses that you can get from tick bites, if you remove the tick within 24 hours, your risk of getting that disease is significantly lower. It's not completely gone, but like Lyme disease, for example, most cases of Lyme disease happen in a tick that's been feeding for more than 36 hours. So you have to not notice that tick for a while in order for it to successfully transmit something. That's fascinating. I know I like I've seen your guys' faces and you're like mind blown, right? My, my so. mind was blown on that. Yeah, because it's like, okay, so when I, I'm going to replay that part right there to my kids because I'm always like, go get in the shower, check your hair and all that. So because you know, as soon as we get home and that helps reiterate that, it's like, okay, Let's get it off you right now. Kids yeah, like, oh, don't let that happen. <laughs> right. Okay. I can wait for seven to 10 days before I take a shower. But no, what I, I like that. It's a little bit more comforting knowing that it's uh, pretty uncommon. It's rare. And then usually I think we all see a tick on ourselves within 36 hours. Um, so I kind of speaking of like after my kids have been outside, maybe in our pasture or grass or whatever, that's when I say, okay, let's check ourselves. So where do ticks thrive uh, the most regarding like habitat? 
I mean, I'm part of my job. I get a lot of phone calls from people being like, what is this? And then usually the follow-up question to that is how do I kill it? And so with ticks is like, oh, I got a tick on myself. What do I spray in my yard to kill them? But the answer isn't, you know, simple as spraying something because once again, we need to keep in mind that ticks are always going to be associated with their host. So, which is wildlife. So wherever wildlife may be, and you know, that could be like something you're hunting like deer, or it could be the raccoon that gets into your trash, you know, wherever wildlife is going to be, you have, there's a chance that you'll have ticks as well. So when you're at home, you can alter your landscape to be less favorable to ticks. You know, that could be like mowing the yard, or you can just try your best to avoid the prime tick habitat. And so ticks are primarily going to be encountered in wooded areas. Some tick species, they prefer kind of those shady, shady places. Lone star ticks, sometimes they like the bright sun. So, you know, it's a gamble sometimes. Um, But wooded areas, especially like the vegetation around the edges of those wooded areas, you get a lot of shrubs, like those border areas where something like taking a path and likely to brush up against that, that's where you're going to find a lot of ticks. And once again, like that can even be like, if you're in the city, you know, you're walking along the sidewalk and there's some nice tall prairie grass planted right here. Like, oh, hey, there's probably going to be ticks hanging off that prairie grass too. But it's mostly around those, like um, those shrubs and greenery that's bordering those wooded areas. All right. So I've accepted that ticks live in the same place I do. And I want to be outside as much as I can. So, you know, whether we're hunting, fishing, turkey hunting, camping, are there certain like clothing or fabrics that kind of repel ticks or are there any other suggestions you can give our listeners for maybe ways to prevent that interaction with the tick? Yeah. So as far as clothing goes, there are actually a couple of really good options that we do recommend for people that are go like they're knowingly going into like tick habitat. So if you're turkey hunting, things like that, mushroom foraging. So for clothing, you can get permethrin treated clothing. So permethrin is an insecticide and it's a repellent, but it's safe. You know, it's safe in the clothing for us. And you can buy clothing that's pre-treated with permethrin and that that pesticide will actually last for about 70 washes. So you can, you know, you don't have to worry about reapplying it. Um, But if you had like your favorite clothes and they don't come in permethrin treated, they do make make a permethrin spray for clothes, but that only lasts like about three washes or three to five washes. That's always an option, especially if you're going into those areas. Otherwise, you know, dress appropriately, like wear long pants. It's not fashionable, but if you can tuck those pants into socks, so the ticks can't climb up them, you know, you might look, you might get some strange looks, but you know, you're being proactive. DEET repellent, you can wear on your skin as well, um, up to 30% DEET. If you go any higher than that, it's not going to make a difference. So you might as well just do up to the 30. And then after coming inside, you know, if you suspect you have ticks on your clothes, you can throw those clothes into the dryer for 30 minutes and that'll kill anything. Um, If you have pets like hunting dogs or you have outdoor like farm cats too, you know, put them on a tick prevention program so they're not bringing anything in your house. And then I think most importantly, like as Julia mentioned, you know, after your kids spend time outside, you want to come home and like the full body tick checks are probably the most important step because we can, you know, we can use the permethrin spray, 
We can use DEET spray, but sometimes maybe it doesn't work 100%. So those tick checks are probably the most important step you can do. And if you do find a tick that's actively feeding, and once again, we already talked about it's important to remove it as soon as possible, but it's also important to remove it properly. Um, Don't recommend taking a match and burning it. The CDC has guidelines that you should take like tweezers or really fine forceps. Grab the tick as close to your skin as possible, so near where the head is, and pull it straight out. And that's important because if you squeeze its body or, like, try to use your fingers, you're pushing, like, it's going to regurgitate. It's gross, I know. It's going to, like, regurgitate whatever, you know, you're pushing it into your body, and so that increases the likelihood that you're pushing those pathogens into your body, too. So proper tick removal get those tweezers, get as close to that tick's head as possible, and then just pull it straight out. And then if you suspect the tick's been feeding a while, you can also like disinfect your skin with some rubbing alcohol as well. I actually had a bite, a tick bite me once. And then, uh, I mean, it left a considerable mark for quite a long time in that, that second layer of that skin. Is that pretty common? Um, so everyone reacts to bite differently and that's why I think like maybe some people don't even notice a tick has been there for a while maybe they don't feel it or they don't get like a red rash around it or something so people react differently and then sometimes like the mouth parts will break off into the skin it could sometimes like cause a secondary infection where maybe it stays red for a little bit but naturally your skin will eventually just push those mouth parts out we're getting into the gross stuff here, hey, right? That's the the right. nitty gritty. That's okay. That's all about, it's... we're all about it. And that's why we're having this conversation. I do want to ask though, you know, if we're talking about spraying pesticides or having the pesticides on our clothing, is that also then, you know, in return harmful to other insects that may be in the area? Like the, the insects we don't want to kill. <laughs> Right. So when we think about the use of the permethrin in the clothing and like DEET on our skin, that's mostly going to be acting as a repellent. So like how DEET works is things like ticks or things like mosquitoes. Their host-seeking behavior a lot of the time relies on like carbon dioxide. So when we add these repellents, it's messing up whatever their sensors are, you know, so it's kind of helping them prevent finding us or maybe it does land on us and it's like, hey, this smells weird. I'm going to get out of here. So it's not going to be, you know, it's not like we're spraying pesticides everywhere. So it's not going to affect non-target organisms. And that's why, you know, when someone calls me, it's like, what do I spray in my yard? Like, well, could spray something. It's not going to work because it's not going to keep the rabbits out of your yard. But we also, we do want to protect those, um, those beneficial insects like pollinators, bees, even things like ladybugs, you know, anything that's not a tick, right? <laughs> Complete opposite end of the spectrum, pollinators and ticks. When I was reading the Neb Line article, I seen a section in there that's talking about the 2022 Tick Distribution Survey. Can you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit more on how we can help? Yeah, so in the state of Nebraska, and there might be similar programs in neighboring states as well, In Nebraska, and there might be similar programs in neighboring states, but there's a community scientist program that's called Tic Tag Go that's um, a partnership between the Nebraska Department of Health as well as the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And so Tic Tag Go is a survey um, and a program that compiles data to track 
seasonal trends. So when are ticks going to be most active? When are people encountering ticks more? And also the geographic distribution. So, you know, we talked about how the black-legged ticks only been found in four counties, but that's likely to expand of these different tick species throughout the state. And so this is a cool program because anyone, you know, including you, Julia and Rachel and all of your listeners, anyone can participate in this project. But I just want to say that it relies on the passive surveillance of ticks, which means I'm not asking you, I'm not encouraging you to go out and look for ticks and, you know, risk tick bites on purpose. But if you do happen to just be outside and you either see a tick in the wilderness or you see a tick crawling up your pant leg, um, we do encourage you to snap a picture of it. And that's all it takes is a picture. So we have an iNaturalist page. And if you're not familiar with iNaturalist, it's a web page, an app, a program where you can submit pictures of wildlife and then um, simply say where you found it and what date you found it. And then experts, people like me, will go in and identify that wildlife for you. So we have an iNaturalist page that's Tick Tag Go, so T-I-C-K Tag Go. So we encourage you, if you do find a tick, you can upload the picture, tell us when you found it, where you found it. We'll identify that for you. And then we use this data to better understand the risk for ticks in Nebraska. So um, data like this will tell us, hey, maybe the Asian longhorn tick has made it into our state. Um, and just kind of give us, you know, vital information about tick and tick-borne illness here. And you can visit ticktaggo.unl.edu for more information about that program. I was going to say, Rachel, this is just another point of using the iNaturalist. I feel like 50% of our conversations that we have are encouraging our listeners to use iNaturalist. It's true. I was just looking at the website, looking at the different photos, and I was like, holy ticks batman it's just it's impressive what's been found and and i'm so impressed by some of these people with their all their different observations like it's crazy but the uh there's like a caster tick or something it's huge it's not in doesn't look like it's in nebraska it was in a different state but just it's pretty interesting so if if our listeners are wondering kind of what that american dog tick looks like or what the lone star tick looks like it's a really great place to go look to see kind of different photos of it so that when you're out you know you can you can help identify when you see them yourself yeah i think we even had someone last year submit a tick that we thought was a dog tick and then some some person from ohio was like no it's not a dog tick it's i think it's like a pacific tick or something that must have come to the state from some bird it was attached to like I said, this data is like really invaluable. And so um, we invite you to participate, especially if you encounter ticks frequently. Um, you know, if you don't like to go on the internet or use the app, you can always send pictures to me and I'd be happy to identify and upload it to you as well. Awesome. We'll definitely include the these notes um, and contact information in our show notes to, to send that on because, you know, we know our listeners are out there and about and all over the different states. Uh, our podcast is heard across the nation. And so uh, definitely pop that in, whether you're, even if you are not from Nebraska, jump it in, put it in on Naturalist because it'll share that information within your particular area. And I know like a lot of 
you know, I'm most familiar with the Nebraska project, obviously, but there are a lot of other states that have a similar tick surveillance program as well. Absolutely. You know, and, and speaking of other information, Kate had brought up the CDC website, and that was one that actually, when I was doing some researching, discovered that that website, uh, a lot of cool information on that, whether it's identification, prevention, and then it even shows like uh, images of different sizes and then what to do if you're bit. So that CDC uh, backslash ticks is a really good website resource. Yeah, absolutely. They have lots of information about ticks and tick-borne illness, um, what symptoms to look out for, how to properly remove a tick everything that you need you can find there all right kate as we start wrapping up here what uh, what information that we may have missed would you like to share with our listeners you know i think we covered everything really well but you know just to reiterate like the most important points is if you have a tick feeding on you you know get it identified remove it properly and then as far as tick prevention goes some of the best one of the best things you can do is to just do those regular tick checks. Like I said, you can try to avoid tick habitat. You can try to wear repellents, but sometimes those aren't going to be like the silver bullet, 100% prevention. Um, so just do those tick checks. I don't know if I have anything else. I feel like we've thoroughly covered the world of ticks. <laughs> I know Julia and I have a new appreciation for the world of ticks and, and, you know, just kind of to reiterate to our listeners, like don't let don't let the fear of ticks keep you from getting out and enjoying what you like to do. But take some preventative measures, keep it front of mind, and when you are back inside, make sure you take those steps to kind of to clear them and make sure you are in the clear. Um, and if you do have find something, you know, correctly. Uh, identify it and, and move on with life. So right. by um, no yeah, means should you keep you inside. Yeah. By no means should you stay inside and hide. Like that's not what I'm saying. You know, ticks are inevitable. Mosquitoes are inevitable. Thank goodness ticks don't have wings. Right. <laughs> so it's just something that we kind of have to live with. And like I said, you know, the risk of bites might be there, but the risk of illness is even lower than that. So just go outside, enjoy, enjoy your time, enjoy the activities, but just be sure to check for ticks once you get back home. Well, Kate, we appreciate you joining us today and, and kind of sharing a little bit of, of knowledge with our listeners. Um, I'm so glad that we're talking ticks today and not bed bugs because uh, that is a conversation I really have no interest in learning more about. But for all our listeners, thanks again for joining us. And um, as always, we have uh, boxes still available. Check our the She Goes Outdoors Facebook page to to learn more or to see our show notes and as always we will see you outdoors 